We're continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of John, and today we are beginning chapter 14, and it starts by saying the disciples are troubled, or at least Jesus tells them not to be troubled, so we can assume they are troubled. And over the last two weeks, as we looked at chapter 13, the disciples had reason to be troubled. Three reasons, in fact. Jesus told them, one of you is going to betray me. That was Judas Iscariot. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Say you don't even know me. And third, Jesus told them he was going someplace they would not be able to follow him at that time. And so, the disciples on that night of Passover week, they were understandably concerned that this Jesus movement that they were a part of was not going to end well. That the path that they were on might not have a happy ending. And that they themselves might not make it to the end. And so with those concerns in mind, Jesus comforts his disciples. And so I want to turn to those comforting words in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. You can find them printed out in your bulletin or open up the Bibles in front of you. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Again, this is in the upper room. This is the night before Jesus would be crucified. And the, the passage begins with Jesus speaking. So let's hear the Word of God, John 14, beginning in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, Show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for speaking your word to us. We thank you that you are a God who speaks the truth to us. And even more than that, we are thankful that you help us to hear it. 
Because like Thomas and Philip, we can be slow, dull, unhearing. And yet by Your Spirit and Your grace, You open our ears and open our hearts and minds to hear Your Word as truth. And so that's what we pray for today. That as we hear Your Word today, O God, we would believe it. That we would receive it as Your Word. Use me, O God, in spite of my weakness and my sins to faithfully and clearly proclaim Your Word that we might know You. That we might know Jesus. Help us, O Spirit. Amen. Well, the big idea and the simple point, if you hear nothing else this morning from this passage, is the way to God is not a path to follow, but a person to trust. The way to God is not a path to follow, it is a person we trust. That means that we should not be as concerned about knowing the route, the map in front of us and how we will traverse it but knowing the one who will get us there. And so this morning in our passage, we're going to look at the two disciples' questions or comments that they have and how they reveal that we're not very good at this person-trusting thing. We would much rather path follow. And then finally, we're going to look at verse 6, which is uh, the well-known verse, the verse we've got up here on our banners and how that's good news for us. So first, let's look at Thomas's question. It comes first in verse 5. So Jesus had just finished telling his disciples that in my father's house, there are many rooms. Jesus said he would go and prepare a place for them. He said, I'm going to come again. I'm going to take you to be where I am. And he ended by saying, you know the way where I am going. Thomas, who apparently was listening, sounds very concerned, saying, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Now, we got to start with this. To be fair to Thomas, you got to be fair to people in here, even when they're dull. So to be fair to Thomas, Jesus did not tell them how to get where he was going on their own. Jesus did not tell Thomas the path he must take. Instead, Jesus told Thomas he only had to trust in him and Jesus would take him there. He didn't want the disciples to worry about knowing the path they were going to walk. He wanted to know the person they needed to trust. But like Thomas, that's really hard for us. We want to know the path. We want the giant atlas right in front of us. We want to look at the Google Maps direction that's telling us how far we need to go and how many minutes until we get there. And I think there are quite a few reasons why we are like that. And I want to point out three of them. First, we want to know the path so that we can feel accomplished when we reach the destination. See, pride is a constant struggle for sinners like us. And we like to feel proud of whatever it is that we achieve. Even if it's something as simple as following a recipe. If we do it and it turns out great, we just have like this satisfaction. I did it. I followed the directions. It came out and looks close to the picture. Yes! And we are so proud of ourselves. We just want someone to lay out the instructions, to tell us what to do, and we're going to do it. We don't want help. We don't want anyone to do it for us. We want to do it. Show us the path. We will follow it. And we will feel proud. 
And so that's one reason why we want to know the path we want to take. It's our pride. A second reason we want to know the path is our desire to feel in control. See, pride is a dangerous thing, but control is a very common thing for us. We want to know the path that we are taking so we can be sure things are going according to plan. As Abby said in the children's message, when we're driving somewhere, the question is always, are we going on the highway? I, I don't, they're not driving. It doesn't matter if we're going on the highway or if we're going on 19 or back roads. Like, why does it matter if we are going on the highway? Well, knowing that, I guess, gives them some sense of control. They know what to expect. They feel like, okay, I know where we are. I know. We're the same way. We want to know the path that we are on. We want to know what to expect. We want to know, is there traffic up ahead? Am I going to be delayed? Do I need to reroute? We want to feel in control. We want to know exactly how many inches of snow are coming tomorrow. It matters if it's six or seven, right? We really need to know. We need to control all of those things. And so we desire to know the path that we must follow because it makes us feel like we're in control. That's the second reason why we want to know the path. And a third reason is that we don't fully trust the person who has promised to get us to the end. Maybe you have been in an amusement park or a large shopping mall or just hiking in the woods and the person who is leading you has assured you they know where they're going. And you're looking at them like, no, you don't. You don't. And you're following them because you're polite. But you are all the time suspicious that you are totally going in the wrong direction. And so we want to know the path so that we can take over when our guide proves untrustworthy. And so by wanting to know the way, Thomas is in a sense doubting that Jesus is actually going to come again and take them to his father's house. He wanted to know the way because deep down, Thomas didn't trust Jesus. And so these reasons help explain Thomas's question. That even though Jesus had clearly promised, guys, I'm going to my father's house, getting it set up, I'm coming back, and then I'll take you there. Thomas is like, how do I get there? I need to know. We want to know the path. Thomas preferred knowing the path to trusting the person who would get him there. He wanted a detailed list of instructions or directions so that he could make sure he got to be with God. And Jesus left one instruction. Believe in me. Trust that Jesus will get you there because he is the way. And so Jesus shows, I am the way. But why can't we just follow a path to get to God? Why does Jesus have to be the way? What if somehow we were able to like remove all pride and all desire for control and we trusted Jesus and he gave us a list of instructions? Couldn't we follow them? Isn't it possible, albeit very unlikely, that we could at least try to follow a path that would get us to God. Eh, maybe. Philip seems to give us reason to doubt our ability to do that. 
Because Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough. Now, we did this with Thomas. We got to do it with Philip. To be fair to Philip, Jesus did talk a lot about his father. And he always talked about the father as another person. And so you can understand why Philip would hope to see the father by seeing another person. But Philip was missing the truth that though Jesus and the father are different persons, they are the same God. See, the Bible reveals that there is one God who is eternally existent in three persons who are the same in substance and equal in power and glory. Now, that's the language from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which Philip did not have back then. But he did have Jesus. And Jesus talked to him in verses 7 through 11, describing himself and his father in terms of great sameness and yet still distinct. Jesus never says, I am the Father, but he does say, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. He talks about the Father as distinct from himself, but he still says, if you had known me, you would know my Father also. And so Philip says, I want to see the Father. And Jesus says, "Uh, you, you have seen him. Now, what does this have to do with following a path or a set of instructions to get to God? Well, it shows us that even if we tried to follow a set of instructions or commands in order to be with God, Philip shows us we have a horrible sense of direction. Just awful. We are blind. We are dull. We have no idea where we are going. Our spiritual compass is wrong. Totally wrong. And will always lead us wrong. See, Philip is essentially saying to Jesus, if you would just show me God, that would be enough for me. That's God, Philip. That's him. He's right there. What do you mean? Philip is like, if only... If only you would show me the one true God, the divine being over all things, I would be satisfied. Philip! You're saying that to God in the flesh. Come on, man. And so Jesus lovingly is exasperated. Totally. Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Philip had been following Jesus closely for three years. He had been listening to his teaching. He had been observing his compassion. He had witnessed the miracles. And yet, Philip cannot see that Jesus fully reveals God. Philip wanted, needed something more than literally God's perfect self-revelation of himself. John Calvin writes to the effect that he says, we profess to be enthusiastic in seeking God. And yet when he presents himself before our eyes, we are blind. We can't find him. Think about how many people in the world wish God would just make himself known in an obvious way. How many people in the world or even in this room have said, God, if only I could hear a word from you. And how many of those people and how many of us neglect and despise the word of God given to us 
faithfully inspired and provided by the Spirit, preserved throughout the ages, translated into our language that literally we can all have at any time. And we're like, yeah, it's not enough. I need something else. It shows that if God gave us instructions to follow or even coordinates on a map, we would never make it to Him. That we are spiritually blind. And so the way to God has to be more than a path to follow. We need a person or a guide. We need someone to carry us and bring us to make sure we get to God. And thankfully, that's exactly who Jesus says He is. That He is the way to God. And so in the well-known verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way to heaven in the sense that He escorts us into heaven. You see, too often we think of heaven like a perfect retirement community, a place that is free from all of the problems of this life. Do you notice that's not how Jesus describes heaven? Heaven is not like leveling up in a video game and you achieve sin-free status. Okay? Jesus describes heaven as my Father's house. Heaven is not just a place. Heaven is God's place. And we can only be welcomed into that place. We can't just make it there. Someone owns that place. You see, trying to get into heaven without Jesus bringing us in would be like trying to just walk into the White House one day. I just wanted to check it out, see if president was home. Do you think that's going to work? Like, do you think you're getting past the guards and the gates? Like, no, someone lives there. There are rules there. And that's what Jesus is saying. This is my father's house. Our New Testament reading showed us that this invitation to God's heavenly kingdom is extended to all people. It's for the good and the bad. And yet it also shows us there's this wedding garment that we need to be there in the right way. It's open. Come. But you've got to come the right way. And Jesus is saying he is the way. The only way to the Father. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. Let's think about each of those. First, Jesus says He's the way. Jesus is the way to the Father because He reconciles us to the Father. That because of our sins, we are enemies of a holy God. We have rebelled against Him. And in His goodness and justice, God must punish us of our sins. But Jesus, through His life, death, and resurrection, makes a way for sinners to be reconciled. That He took our sin upon Himself. He satisfied God's holy wrath against our sin by dying on the cross in our place. And there's no other way to be reconciled to God. There's no other way for our sins to be scrubbed clean. There's no amount of good deeds that can balance the scales. There's no explanation of good intentions that's going to get us out of this punishment. In His justice, God must condemn our sin. But Jesus said, I will be condemned for you. I want all of your condemnation so there is none left for you. And so Jesus alone is the way to God. And He says He is the truth as well. 
He is the truth because He perfectly reveals God. He said that to Philip, whoever has seen Me has seen the Father. See, other prophets, other leaders, even today, our elders and deacons, they may be godly, but only Jesus was God. Occasionally, people in the Bible are described as blameless. Only Jesus was sinless. Everything about Him is truth. Everything He does is good and right. And Jesus tells us hard truth and good truth. He tells us hard truth that we are all sinners who stand condemned before God. That we are rotten to the core, having been born with sinful desires that deceive us into thinking we don't need God. He, he just lays on the bad news, but He brings in the good news too. That He willingly sacrificed Himself for us while we were sinners. That we are adopted as sons and daughters of God who will spend eternity with Him. And He tells us the truth. The truth about who we are and who God is and how we get that right. And so Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And finally, He says, I am the life. And this may be the most amazing description because Jesus is saying, I am the source of all life on earth. Jesus is saying that all things were created through Him. And He upholds all things by His power. That He has life in Himself and death cannot kill life. That's what John said in chapter 1. In Him was life. And this power of life is what we need because we are not just poisoned, crippled, wounded in sin. The Bible says we are dead in our sins. We are spiritually dead. But Christ has the power to regenerate us with His resurrection power. And so just as Jesus rose from the dead in new life, so also He breathes new life into His people. And so even now, we who believe in Jesus have received that life-giving power through the Spirit that we are told we have eternal life now and need not fear death. That we have hope because Jesus is the life. He is our life. And so Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And He follows that up by saying, no one can come to the Father except through me. And that's good news. But some people hear that as not good news. Like, that's too narrow. How can Jesus be the only way when there's so many other ways out there? Why does He have to be the only way? Why can't there be other ways to God? Aren't there so many well-intentioned people out there that this excludes? Is this way too narrow? No, not at all. I mean, it's a narrow way to get there, but where we are going, there is nothing narrow about that place. Jesus tells us there's plenty of space. You see, at the beginning of this chapter, his disciples are troubled. They are fearing their failure. They know there are hardships ahead, and they worry, looking around the room, not many of us are going to make it to the end. We might stumble along the way. And Jesus says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? The emphasis here is not on the quality of the room, but the quantity. Jesus is assuring His disciples that He is preparing abundant space for His people. 
It's like our Old Testament reading from Zechariah 2, looking forward to a Jerusalem where the guy came out to measure the walls and they were like slapping the measuring line out of his hand saying, don't do that. You can't wall this place in. This is a sprawling place. It is huge. The only wall that exists here is God himself. That's what Jesus is describing. There are many rooms in my Father's house. And so, yes, Jesus is the only way into that house. That way is narrow. It is a narrow entry point. But we are told it is open to the good and to the bad. It is open to sinners. It is a way for us. But there are rooms for all of His people. See, on the night before he died, Jesus wanted to assure his disciples, I have a place for you. You will get here. I know you're worried about what's on the path ahead. I know you don't know what's coming. You don't know what's happening this year or next year or in your family to your children or their children or for generations to come. You don't know what's on that path. But there is something at the end of this path. My Father's house. And you are getting there. Believe in me. I am the way to get there. Don't try to follow a path yourself. Trust in me. Christians, do not fear stumbling along the way. Like you are going to take a wrong turn and your spiritual Google map will not be able to recalculate you back on the right path. Jesus is getting you to the place where he is going. Do not fear all of the uncertainties that lie ahead on your path. Trust that Jesus has said to you that he is coming again to bring you into his father's house. And may we long for that day. When Jesus comes back and makes all things new. And until that day, let us share this good news with all people. Calling them to trust in Jesus as well. Because in our Father's house, there's a whole lot of room. And there's room for many more. Let us go invite them in with us believing in Jesus. Let us pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for the precious promises you give us in your word. We pray that you would strengthen our faith in you and that you would help us to give up control of our lives and our path. To lay down the pride that we want to achieve something. And to give up those doubts that we have about you not making it to the end. Life is hard. We will face suffering. We will face troubles. But we are not to be troubled in heart because we are in your hands. And Jesus is our way. He is the truth and He is our life as well. So God, give us that faith and strengthen us for that day when we are with You for all eternity. Amen.